America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day despite the fact that uh, the news from Gallup is not so great for religious believers. Uh, it turns out the headline, they declare, is belief in five spiritual entities edges down to new lows. What do they mean by spiritual entities? Are they talking about different uh, forms of worship or different figures that we worship. We will get to that coming up with the uh, latest and what Americans uh, believe. But one of the things that Americans have always believed in, is despite the fact that we have this strike going on with the Writers Guild and the uh, Screen Actors Guild, American Federation of Television Radio Artists, everybody's striking. And uh, Hollywood happened to inspire a lot of belief and a lot of profits uh, with the Barbenheimer phenomenon. And this is one of those entertainment stories that is really worth looking at because what it does is show that, well, no, the movie business isn't dead, is it far from it. As uh, Brooks Barnes writes over in the Times, uh, Greta Gerwig's Gender Wars Barbie and Christopher Nolan's Nuclear War Oppenheimer blew past already stratospheric pre-release expectations at the weekend box office to collect a combined $235 million in the United States and Canada, an astounding total that sent a clear message to Hollywood. If you want to commandeer the culture... You must give moviegoers something new, not just the same old threadbare franchises. Original storytelling executed in the right way is broken out in a really remarkable way, said Richard Gelfond, who is the uh, chief executive of IMAX, which accounted for 26% of the Oppenheimer turnout in North America, uh, selling out even 4 a.m. screenings. Do you hear this? This is a three-hour movie. It, it, it takes some real concentration and some real dedication. Uh, I think it's a brilliant movie. It's extraordinarily well-made, but it's more than three hours. They sold out this movie at screenings at 4 in the morning and 6 in the morning and 9 in the morning, and uh, particularly at IMAX screens. And the fact is it it does not have a lot of elaborate special effects because it never shows the actual bombings at Hiroshima or Nagasaki. Never a glimpse of them. And what it does show is it shows the nuclear test uh, known as Trinity, uh, which is an unforgettable sequence and is very impressive to see. But uh, these movies weren't sequels that look the same as the last sequel in a long-running franchise. You might say people noticed. That's what uh, Chief Executive of IMAX commented. The blockbuster turnout signaled that Hollywood has finally bounced back from the pandemic. All told, North American multiplexes had their biggest weekend since Avengers Endgame arrived in April of 2019. Barbie and Oppenheimer 
powered the domestic box office to about $302 million in total weekend ticket sales with films like Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 and Sound of Freedom contributing to the balance. Guess what? Sound of Freedom is now number three, which is an incredible thing, uh, especially given the fact that there's controversy surrounding Sound of Freeman, of Freedom. That's the uh, film about Tim Blanchard and rescuing people from child trafficking. It's a film that uh, they did a showing at, I believe it was Mar-a-Lago, or it might have been Bedminster, one of the Trump facilities. Trump went to a showing. And uh, the idea that it should be controversial at all is it's now earned $126 million. And it was a film that uh, cost a fraction of that. And it's third in the country right after the um, Barbenheimer duo. And that's an incredible thing and a great, great achievement for its directors and for Jim Caviezel, who stars in it and uh, uh, is, of, of course, one of the producers. And uh, Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina called it, quote, an amazing, gut-wrenching, emotional movie. Ted Cruz of Texas wrote the film, Wow, Wow, and President Donald J. Trump scheduled a screening of the movie Sound of Freedom at his private club in New Jersey. The uh, most striking sign yet of how the unlikely box office hit has captured the imagination of American conservatives. Uh, why? Because I think it's a good thing for that conservatives actually show some concern about the horrors of uh, human trafficking which is what the film is about and uh, dramatizes extremely emotionally. In liberal Manhattan, Sound of Freedom viewers at several theaters said they had come out for the not for the politics, but uh, because they wanted to see a good thriller based on what they believe to be a true story. It is a true story. I came because I believe that there's child trafficking going on and there's just enough light being shed on it uh, said Malika Villamizar, 19, who lives in Manhattan. She was surprised to hear, however, that the movie had been promoted by Mr. Trump and other Republican politicians. She said she had heard about the film on TikTok. Uh, well, it is another good and uh, very effective and very profitable film. Um, meanwhile, there is uh, Ron DeSantis, wanting to distance himself from a battle concerning Florida's new teaching standards when it comes to uh, black history. And here is the comments of a government, Governor DeSantis to try to establish that distance. Clip three. Well, you should talk to them about it. I mean, I didn't do it and I wasn't involved in it. Um, but I think, um, I think what they're doing is I think that they're probably going to show um, some of the folks that eventually parlayed, uh, you know, being a blacksmith into into doing things later later in life. Um, but the reality is, all of that is rooted in whatever is factual. They listed everything out, and if you have any questions about it, just ask the Department of Education. You can talk about those folks. But I mean, these were scholars who put that together. It was not anything that was um, that was done politically. Okay, and by the way, that's entirely true. 
and entirely reasonable. And uh, the the idea that uh, uh, even Will Hurd, who I like a lot, the the fact that he took off after that one, and it's an innocuous comment in the original curriculum. It doesn't say that slavery was a blessing or beneficial in any way. It doesn't even come close to saying that. What it acknowledges is some of the resilience and the durability of some of the people who lived through slavery and went on to build a life afterward. Uh, when it comes to building a life afterward, there are also questions about the afterlife that Gallup has gotten into. Uh, there is a more on the debates of how to remember slavery and a new measure by the Biden administration to try to make the president look less elderly. How are they going to do that? Uh, they're, they're adjusting teleprompters and more. Uh, we will get to that and more coming up on the Medved Show. 1-800-955-1776. He knows what he believes. Michael Medved. And uh, here's a sign that one of the most controversial dinner parties ever held at Mar-a-Lago uh, may have paid off and may have paid off in a uh, big, big way uh, for President Trump. Uh, he has just gotten the endorsement of uh, I can I can't say it's a surprise because it's someone who has been a guest for dinner at the Trump home, uh, the neo-Nazi leader Nick Fuentes. Uh, and yes, he is a neo-Nazi. He is a Holocaust denier and a very open and uh, direct anti-Semite. And uh, he's also a rabid racist. And he has repeatedly praised Hitler, defended Hitler, uh, wants to try to clean up the memory a little bit so that uh, we have a, quote, more balanced view of uh perhaps the most evil human being who ever lived. Uh, in any event, uh, Nick Fuentes uh, has endorsed Donald Trump for president. If President Trump has any political sense at all, uh, he actually should reject the endorsement. And I know he had Nick Fuentes to his house with yay, uh, but still, uh, he he also said he was endorsing President Trump uh, because President Trump, quote, has a plan to expel all immigrants. Well, that would be an interesting attempt. I think there, there are about 40 million immigrants legal and most of them legal, uh, the great majority. But... Uh, he uh, he added Nick Fuentes, and uh, this is probably what President Trump should reject. He said, "I'm ready to die for President Trump." Well, that means that unless you move to Chicago, Nick, if if you're dead, you can't vote for him. O only in Chicago uh, do uh, <laughs> it's uh, said about the Democratic Party in Chicago and the Daily Machine, the old Daily Machine. By the way. Uh, we we didn't even uh, talk about the violent weekend in uh, Democratic-run Chicago. Boy, that's uh, uh, that's something else. And uh, then there there is this. Um, 
also the uh, story from Gallup, belief in uh, five spiritual entities edges down to new lows. And the percentages of Americans at Dateline, Washington, D.C., who believe in each of five religious entities, God, angels, heaven, hell, and the devil, have edged downward by three to five percentage points since 2016. Uh, still, majorities believe in each, ranging from a high of 74% who believe in God to lows of 59% for hell and 58% for the devil. Oh, I guess it's kind of a... I guess it's a kind of a good thing uh, that um, you, you have a situation where God is still more popular than the devil, but uh, the question also asks respondents, 13% to 15% currently say they are not sure. At the same time, nearly 3 in 10 U.S. adults uh, do not believe in the devil or hell, while almost 2 in 10 do not believe in angels in heaven, and 12% say they do not believe in God. In the current poll, about half of Americans believe in all five spiritual entities. It's weird to call heaven a spiritual entity. Uh, because I think if they had asked this question differently, if they asked, do you believe in life after death? And I think you would get higher numbers. But uh, in the current poll, 51% believe in all five spiritual entities, while 11% do not believe in any of them. And... Uh, uh, this is, uh, again, what's very peculiar about this is, uh, and, and I know that Stephen King has, has actually spoken about this, because so much of his writing, uh, and he's a wonderfully gifted novelist, and obviously created uh, stories that scare people, and they scare people often because they give a very... Uh, believable and uh, dramatic, obviously, uh, view of the demonic and of uh, very dark forces. And uh, one of the things that King has said that he struggles with is how could it be that he does feel fascinated and he believes that those forces really exist in the world, but he doesn't think there's any counter. In other words, if you believe there are supernatural forces like the devil uh, and like demons, how do you not believe in a God that can help to counteract them? Uh, it's always been something of a confusing, confusing aspect. Uh, there's also this, another violent weekend in a Democrat-run Chicago where they have an even more outspokenly liberal mayor. This is amid a massive rise in robberies, thefts, batteries, sexual assaults, and carjackings. 
Uh, listen, this is clip 12. And then there's this video from Saturday night showing a large street fight that reportedly broke out outside a bar in the Wrigleyville neighborhood, not far from the Chicago Cubs stadium with security and police trying to get things under control. And while murders and shootings are slightly down from last year's near historic highs, crime in nearly every other category is up. Robberies are up 16%, thefts 14 and the number of carjackings is more than double what it was at this point a year ago. Right now, all eyes are on newly elected progressive Mayor Brandon Johnson, who promised to make the city safer by addressing the root causes of crime. And the impact of his progressive cop policies will be getting a lot of attention as we get closer to the Democratic National Convention being held here in Chicago just over a year from now. And then... And could that Democratic Convention be very weird? It could be very weird. I was at another Democratic convention way back in 1968. That was weird and violent and horrible in the extreme. At least uh, six dead and 26 injured after violent weekend of shootings in Chicago. It's extraordinary. The uh, identified victims were ages 13 to 64. I I had mentioned uh, before the the fact that uh, there there is a new attempt to try to uh, uh, avoid having President Biden look old to the public. Uh, how are they going to do it? What are they changing? It's uh, probably not going to make a big difference. I don't know exactly who you are. Your cultural crusader. At where this is going. All across America. This is the Michael Medved Show. And I'm sure we will hear more about this story uh, tomorrow or at least later this week. Uh... Uh, it says uh, from NBC, they are reporting that uh, as the 80-year-old commander-in-chief prepares for his re-election campaign, President Biden's advisors appear to be taking steps to minimize the job's physical toll on Mr. Biden. And uh, part of the example of what uh, they apparently are doing is he is uh, going to have a shorter staircase to get into Air Force One. In other words, I don't know how they do that, if they, um, but they'll figure it out. I'm sure it's going to be done. So there's fewer chances for him to trip on the stairs. Okay, good. That's good. Uh, he is also going to have no more late night dinners on recent foreign trips to make sure that uh, he gets more of the sleep he needs. And uh, they are going to, they've developed a brand new extra large font on his teleprompter and uh, also use that extra large font on the note cards that he's equipped with uh, to make sure he makes the points that he wants to make at meetings. So uh, look, uh, all of this, it's a recognition on the part of the Democrats that the age issue could be a a serious issue for President Biden. 
And the one way to make it a less serious issue is, of course, for the uh, for the Republicans to nominate Trump, who is uh, only four years younger than Biden and uh, in real life. And though, of course, he insists that in terms of um, uh, physical health, despite the fact that Biden has said that uh, he hasn't quite challenged uh, President Trump to some kind of uh, uh, wrestling match or boxing or, or uh, cage fighting. Uh, it's not quite like uh, Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk, not yet. But it could go that way. Uh, meanwhile, there is also something that President uh, Biden has done. It is perfectly constitutional. It is a president's job. Uh, President Theodore Roosevelt passed the National Monuments Act in 2006, and he did it largely so he could establish uh, the Grand Canyon as a national monument and protect it. But uh, President Biden has just uh, established another national monument. And I think most people, when you read about it, you would say, well, of course, it's politically correct. But it it has deeper meaning to it. Uh, President Biden will establish a national monument tomorrow honoring Emmett Till, the black teenager who was brutally killed in 1955 and paying tribute to his mother, uh, Mamie Till Mobley, according to White House officials. Emmett's murder and the subsequent activism of his mother helped propel the civil rights movement. This is back in 1955. And Mr. Biden will memorialize both individuals when he signs a proclamation naming the Emmett Till and Mamie Till Mobley National Monument. As defined by the National Park Service, a national monument is a protected area similar to a national park. There are more than 100 national monuments in the country. Uh, the new monument will consist of three protected sites in Illinois, and where that's where Emmett was from, and Mississippi, where he was murdered. Uh, one site is the site of the church where Emmett's funeral was held, a Roberts Temple Church of God in a historically black neighborhood in Chicago's south side known as Bronzeville. Another is the Graybell Landing in Tallahatchie County, Mississippi, where Emmett's body is believed to have been pulled from the Tallahatchie River. A third site is the Tallahatchie County 2nd District Courthouse in Sumner, Mississippi, where an all-white jury acquitted Emmett's killers. How do we know they were his killers if they were acquitted? After they were acquitted, they admitted it. They sold the story to Look Magazine. Yeah, really. Isn't that shocking? Patrick Weems, the executive director of the Emmett Till Interpretive Center in Sumner, said on Sunday that the news of the monument had brought tears to his eyes. I'm so happy for the Till family and also our community that has worked uh, tirelessly to get these sites recognized, he said. It's just a lot of emotion. The establishment of the new monument tomorrow, uh, what would have been Emmett's 82nd birthday, he was 14 when he was killed, comes amid polarized uh, debates in the country about the teaching of black history, uh, led by Kamala Harris, unfortunately. Uh, in August 1955, Emmett was 14 years old 
visiting relatives in the Mississippi Delta when he was kidnapped, tortured, and killed after a white woman, Carolyn Bryant Donham, accused him of whistling at her in a store where she worked. And that was, by the way, the the extent of her accusation. It did not happen, apparently. But her extent of the uh, claim was that he whistled at her, not that he grabbed her or assaulted her and nothing. Her husband at the time, uh, Roy Bryant and G.W. Millam, his half-brother, abducted Emmett at gunpoint and drove him to a barn about 45 minutes away. After torturing him, they shot him in the head and tied a 75-pound cotton gin uh, fan to his neck with barbed wire and then threw the body into the Tallahatchie River. Emmett's body was eventually pulled from the river, though his remains could be identified only by the silver ring on one of his fingers. Uh, The rest of it is just too horrible to read. Uh, The body was displayed. They made a movie about this, basically about about, uh, uh, the, the way that his mother got the attention of the country by insisting that the pictures show an open casket to show how her son, for no crime other than being a black young man, uh, how her son was tortured and killed. Uh, Meanwhile, there's also an announcement. Uh, Charlottesville Museum is melting down a monument raised as a memorial to Confederate General Robert E. Lee, the museum can implement this action because a Virginia judge gave permission. In this way, the judge rejected the lawsuit that fought for the preservation of the statue. This statue is also the place where the Unite the Right protest took place in 2017 when uh, counter-protester Heather Heyer died. Uh, Again, the idea of melting down uh, that uh, that statue, which is was a, a statue that uh, was put up, I believe, in the 1890s. It was years after the war. Uh, they, I believe, have a gathering place where they have a number of Confederate memorials or monuments that are preserved. And uh, it, it seems to me that the decision to uh, melt down this work of art rather than putting it uh, say they have the White House of the Confederacy, the uh, enrichment. Uh, you can visit it, which was the rather modest but uh, uh, historically very significant home that Jefferson Davis functioned in as president of the Confederacy. Uh, that would have perhaps been a good destination for the uh, Charlottesville statue, but uh, this decision apparently has also been made. Uh, There's more, uh, including Chris Christie uh, going after Ron DeSantis. Why? For using slavery for political advantage. Uh, We'll get to that and more coming up on the Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved Show, a little bit earlier this show, we played you uh, a comment by Chris Christie going after, not Trump this time, but going after Tim Scott 
partially because Tim Scott basically was defending Trump uh, ahead of time and prematurely. You can't really defend Trump on the charges against him concerning January 6th until you hear what the charges are, right? But uh, in any event, Chris Christie seems to me to be just, he's already qualified for the debate, so he will be there. And I'm sure that will be the highlight of his presidential campaign. Uh, he also had some fairly harsh words for Ron DeSantis and claiming that he started the slavery debate. Really? This is clip four. Listen. I didn't do it and I'm not involved in it are not the words of leadership. Um, you know, look, Governor DeSantis started this fire with the bill that he signed, and now he doesn't want to take responsibility for whatever is done um, in the aftermath of it. And from listening and watching his comments, he's obviously uncomfortable. This, the second part of this is, this is why, one of the reasons I'm running, Margaret, you know, we're, we're arguing about these issues, um, these smaller issues, when we've got big issues in our country like runaway inflation that continues to hurt families like an educational system instead of worrying about this let's talk about the falling test scores throughout this country that are making us less competitive with the with the rest of the world okay uh, certainly uh to talk about how some of the uh issues that uh like the war against disney that uh, DeSantis launched, that issue has backfired. It's not effective. It's one of the problems the DeSantis campaign has. And when you talk about this being a less important issue, again, I have the exact wording here. This is the only mention in, uh, in, in a, a series of 121 items that they list as suggested subjects for teaching black history. This is in the Florida curriculum, which uh, DeSantis didn't write. He called together a group of predominantly black scholars to put this together. And uh, right before they uh, they have identified political figures who strove to abolish the institution of slavery, evaluate, evaluate various abolitionist movements that continuously push to end slavery, uh, include the Society of Friends, Quakers, and their efforts to end slavery throughout the United States. In other words, that's all right there. And right there, they put Instruction includes how slaves develop skills which in some instances could be applied for their personal benefit. That's the wording. It hardly says that slavery was good for people. And uh, <laughs> the idea that it does, well, New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy, another New Jersey governor, uh, he attacked anyone for going after Kamala Harris when what people are going after her for was she lied, suggesting that a major theme of this entire curriculum was the notion that slavery was beneficial, which no one said and no one has claimed or even hinted. Again, the wording here, instruction includes how slaves develop skills, which in some instances could be applied for their personal benefit.
Uh, and, and part of what that means is that part of the history of slavery is one of the things that, that slaves hoped for is, and unfortunately it was extremely rare, but at times slaves were at, who did have personal skills uh, could, could actually, were given time to perform those skills in other places other than uh, where they were confined, enslaved. Uh, as as a means of earning money to buy themselves into freedom. Yeah, that happened, but rarely. Uh, and by the way, none of it is a justification in any way for one of the most profound evils in all of human history. Uh, here is Governor Murphy defending Kamala Harris. Uh, listen, clip five. I mean, this is a classic us versus them playbook that the unfortunately the other party too often than not uh, wheels out. And it's frankly offensive. Uh, she is an icon. She is an icon in the South Asian community, in the African American community, among millions of women in this country. Um, I frankly think it's offensive, and I think at the end of the day, it's a losing strategy. Folks want to focus on the, the strength of our country. The Biden-Harris team has delivered 13 million jobs. Mm -hmm. Over 50, it's been over 50 years since unemployment has stayed this low, under 4%. Okay. Uh, the investment in infrastructure, the investment in communities. Yeah. At the end of the day, the record will win out. All right. Okay, all right. That's, that's fine, though. What he says at the end about the jobs, the record, or looking at the economy, uh, despite the fact that three-quarters of the people think the economy is headed in the wrong direction, think America's headed in the wrong direction, the point here that is so bizarre is he suggesting that because Kamala Harris is the first woman of color, first woman and first person of color to be vice president of the United States, that she's an icon and she is now above reproach, that uh, South Asian women, uh, because her mother is South Asian, uh, look at her as someone who cannot be criticized, uh, cannot even be corrected when she totally distorts something like the curriculum in Florida. Uh, that, it seems to me, is highly dubious. But then again, Governor Murphy is one of those people who, if uh, Joe Biden drops out of the race, which is not beyond consideration, uh, he might well be a candidate himself. Uh, meanwhile, the uh, biggest candidate right now in terms of America and being an icon to uh, particularly to women, but to all Americans, no icon bigger than Barbie at this moment. And uh, is the movie worth seeing? Take a listen. Now it's time for Medved's Entertainment Minute. America's favorite doll, played by Margot Robbie, lives a perfect life in Barbie land, but then she takes a perilous venture into the real world in Barbie, now playing in theaters. Wow, this is the real world. What's going on? Why are these men looking at me? Yeah, they're also staring at me. If this got out, this would be catastrophic. 
That's Will Ferrell, who's genuinely funny as the ruthless head of Mattel Toys trying to catch Barbie and put her back in a box. Directed by Greta Gerwig, who co-wrote the project with her partner Noah Baumbach, this is an often amusing film, but the final one-third is a disappointment with Barbie's erstwhile sweetie Ken, played by Ryan Gosling, leading a revolution in Barbie land where the Ken dolls try a takeover in the name of patriarchy. Rated PG-13 for a few references to human anatomy. Two and a half stars for Barbie, and yes, Margot Robbie is a living doll in her role. And it's impossible, by the way, not to admire, just uh, in terms of acting ability and screen presence, uh, Margot Robbie is, is very gifted and, uh, and actually very funny. And uh, Helen Mirren does the narration for the film and there's a bit of narration that's a real crack up where they sort of take you into a behind the scenes idea of Margot Robbie becoming Barbie. Uh, that and more. Um, the uh, success of that film has been extraordinary. Uh, look, every loving film that is is done with so much effort, glad to see things successful for the industry for a moment, but really that this is going to end up being one of the biggest uh, debuts of all time. It's already the biggest debut, weekend debut, for any comedy film. But it is a comedy. Tomorrow, speaking of comedy, we will be speaking to Scott Galloway, who's a professor at New York University, uh, who is famous for saying, follow your passion is utter bull. But he says that President Trump will follow his passion and almost surely drop out of the 2024 presidential race. Why? We'll speak with him, Scott Galloway, next time on The Medved Show. We'll also be talking with Will Hurd, who was uh, somebody who risked his life for the CIA, uh, became a U.S. congressman, uh, a compiled an outstanding record as a black Republican from Texas, is now a candidate for president and deserves more attention. We'll be speaking to him and speaking about the mysterious body that was found uh, on Obama's Martha's Vineyard estate calling